ladies and gentlemen, this is a very, very special episode of Get Reels of Podcast. We are joined by very, very talented people. Uh, we're going to have a couple more joining in, or yeah, a couple more joining in in the meantime, uh, in the, during the course of our uh, show. This is our Black Lives Matter movement episode. We are talking about uh, this movement that is in the current state that we're in uh, with very talented African-American filmmakers. Uh, so we're going to get things started. My name is Adam Chase Rennie. I am Christine Chen. Like, what's All right. And go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, uh, Patrick, and introduce yourself, and then Chinua will go. We'll go next. That's sure. Uh, my name is Patrick Grover. I'm a local Austin actor. Uh, uh, as far as the subject matter that we're talking about today and how I am connected to it, really, it's. Uh, just through, there's no real expertise necessarily here. I am just a black man in America who was himself silent for a very long period of time and got tired of not talking and really haven't shut up for the past like week and a half now. So this is a great outlet for me. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Yay, thanks course. for being here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And Chinwa, how's it going with you? Hey, I'm, I'm Chinway. sorry. <laughs> you're good. Um, I am a filmmaker here in Austin, a writer, director, and editor. I am Nigerian born, but I've lived in the country since 1997. Um, being black, you know, I have all these intersections of being an immigrant and coming um, to the country with the third perspective of kind of how everything's been going so my like you know my relationship to the movement is just one being black and then also um living in different communities of and then understanding how other people's relationship with police is differed a lot um so that's why i'm yeah yeah and how long have you both been in the industry in the film industry uh, I've professionally speaking, I've been in the industry since 2009. Uh, so coming up on 11 and a half years, 11 now. years, right on. Congrats. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, amazingly. I don't know how, but still kicking. What about you, Chinway? Uh, so 2013 is when I would say I officially joined the industry. Um, because that's when I like was on a professional film set and got paid and, did all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, throughout that, I just kind of been more indie and indie filmmaker. Yeah. And you, you wrote, uh, how many scripts have you wrote? You said you're a writer as well. Yeah. So I, I don't, I can't keep track, but I know it's not that many scripts, uh, but <laughs> you're just I, writing scripts. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I basically write things that I can direct. So I would say I've, I've directed three short films and I've, that I've written and maybe three or four sketches that I, that I have somewhere on YouTube or something out there. That's awesome. Cool. That's great. We're actually now being joined by Tommy Hobson. Yay, Tommy! Yay. He is joining us right now. Yeah, you guys are all from diff really diverse backgrounds. Um, yes. Hi, Tommy! 
Hello. Hello, hello. So hello, introduce sir. Your, your, it's hello, perfect sir. timing. It's actually your time to introduce yourself. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kept saying 2 p.m. And, and my partner was like, why are you rushing? I was like, because it's 2 p.m. Oh, Central time. I keep, I keep forgetting. This is a podcast. Uh, We're good. Yes, yes. Um, what do I need to say? How are we introducing? Yeah, us? just just tell us about who you are. Um, and I was just saying, like everybody here has really diverse um, perspectives. Uh, so we have uh, Patrick, who is a local Austin filmmaker and uh, sorry, actor, Chimay, who's a uh, local female uh, filmmaker, and then you, who is a uh, you explain. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, well, um, well, I guess I. Thomas Hobson, but I go by Tommy. That's what everyone calls me. Um, I'm an LA-based actor. I've uh, been acting, holy crap. Um, my birthday <laughs> is Monday, and that will make it 32 years. Uh, Happy birthday. early birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. And it's a, I know a lot of people have had birthdays, so it's not unique. But I, was, <laughs> I, I, I did not think that like I'd still be in a pandemic situation on my birthday, and I definitely didn't factor in a full-on race revolution so um people keep, right. people keep asking me what i plan on doing and i'm like i just you know i'm gonna sit in my house and uh you know um try to stay healthy and try to support the cause as much as i can but yeah so i've been uh acting my whole life and uh, i think most people who have like young kids I, I, did, I did a nickelodeon show for a really long time called fresh be band um which i always tell people it's kind of an interesting portal into this world because you you know, on top of doing 60 episodes of the show, we also did 300 concerts. Um, it was a musical show. And so to sort of go around America and do sold out concerts from LA through the Midwest to New York and sort of see across America um, and meet children and sort of get to learn that like these really are things that are implanted on children. These kids are so pure and so wonderful and loved me unconditionally. And there were many moments when I thought, wow, like 10 years from now, what will you be? Um, Go to Facebook, guys. Go to absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, and you said you've been, you've been acting for over 30 years, right? Yes. I, I got my first professional acting job when I was six years old. I have two parents who are crazy. Yeah. My parents are phenomenal human beings and not artists at all, but we're like, if this is what he wants to do, cause I have always been a very strong willed person. Yeah. They were like, he wants to do it. Let's let him try it out. And, you know, and, but there were rules, you know, very specific rules, behavior, um, chores, grades, college. There were very non-negotiable things that had to happen. Uh, but it was my extracurricular until it became my job. Uh, mm as an adult so yeah yeah um, I guess th this is so we, we wanted to have this because it's we wanted it to be a very um, chilled out kind of like just some friends gathered to just chat about what's going on right now and uh, we wanted it to be a safe place for people to ask questions and just to learn and listen because you guys know best what you guys are dealing with and um, it's our time to listen and to just educate it. Cause I, I know that I, we, I personally have friends who are just almost frozen. They want to help, but they don't know how to, or they feel like if they post something, then they get in trouble because it's not sensitive enough. Or if they don't post something, then they get mad. Then people get mad at them for not posting and speaking up. So 
I guess um, we'll just let it open <coughs> and we'll see how this goes. And let's just talk. Like, what, what, what are your feelings with what's going on right now? And um, how is it affecting where you guys are living? Or how has it affected you since birth? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, who wants to go first? It's like, wow, where do we begin? Uh, <laughs> um, wow. Anyone can jump in. Anyone, I, I, will, I will say this. I have a friend. We had a conversation uh, two nights ago. He, he was out um, at the LA protest downtown a couple of days ago. And he mentioned to me, he said, I have to ask you a question, you know, as, as one of my dearest friends, like, how do you feel about me being on the front line and like marching today? And I told him, I said, listen, I think that like, um, there are two thoughts I have on that immediately. The first is that your presence as a non-black person at a rally literally has the power to deescalate tension. That what we are talking about is literally happening in front of our eyes and we're watching police specifically target black protesters and then a white person steps up front and, and, and a lot of times that de-escalates tension. Mm. So your presence is actually able to, to depressurize the situation. I said, number two, unfortunately, as a minority race, we have been screaming for 400 years. We've been up until the civil rights movement and now beyond. And you have these cycles every every 10 or so years where something catastrophic happens. There's a movement, black people hit the streets, we demand change, we're promised change, nothing happens, rinse and repeat. I said, so we have taken it as far as we can. And I do understand that there's this idea that like it would be great if we could do this on our own so that it's simply our victory. But we are a minority. And the thing that even like as a queer person as well, the thing that I've realized is that people understand things that directly relate to them. And so if you can see someone who looks like you, you're immediately inclined to more empathy to that thing. And so I, I told him, I appreciate you being out there and you're not out there trying to win followers on Instagram or have, you know, tweetable moments. You're literally just out there showing support. And he said that he was being sort of attacked by some of his followers for being an opportunist. And I said, well, listen, at this point right now, and here's the real fun thing, there are no right answers. And I think the people who are sitting at home waiting to have the right inspirational word to type or to say so that they don't get interactions with people that are negative, that's not going to happen. There are no rules right now. So you say something. If you said something wrong, guess what? Someone's going to tell you and you're going to have to say, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was trying to be this and I see what you're saying. And you know, I my first therapy session with my new therapist last night and she's a, a white woman and we were talking about this. And she said, do you think you can have me as your therapist? Do you think I have access to this particular? I said, no, I, I mean, are there any black people there? I don't know, I've, I've only met you. I said, but here's my thing. Maybe you don't know enough about this. So maybe through my trauma that I'm sharing with you, you know, you can learn. And I think that's the thing. People can't be scared to be, to be wrong if your heart is in the right place. I think the, the wrong thing to do is to be so scared of being wrong that you do nothing and that you say nothing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree uh, with everything that Tommy just said, particularly that last part, uh, because silence has been the status quo 
uh, basically since the beginning. And it can't be that way anymore. It, it, it really can't. And the unease that I, I see within uh, my, my friends who are white who are asking some of those same questions of how can I help? I don't know how I can help. Should I be posting the, the black square uh, icon on my profile? Uh, because does that, uh, is that enough or is, is that too much? And really the fact that you're even asking is a huge, huge improvement upon where we were previously, because that means that you're starting to be aware. And once you're starting to be aware, that triggers curiosity. And once curiosity hits, you're actually asking questions, which leads to education, which leads to, uh, which leads to some form, manner or form of empathy. And that's really what's been missing I feel like with every other moment where we've had one of these uh, one of these tragedies happen, like Tommy mentioned, uh, with Tamir Rice, uh, there was outrage amongst the black community, and it was in the news cycle for about forty eight to ninety six hours, and then it was done. And then next thing you know, it's Michael Brown and Eric Garner, and uh, God, I, I feel crappy when I uh, blank on the, the names of the people who have lost their lives to police violence, but it says something that I have to struggle to come up with the number of people that have lost their lives to police violence. Um, I always tell uh, my white friends that any support is welcome support. You, It's Support with action is preferable, but even if you're just putting that little black square up on your uh, icon on Facebook or Instagram or what have you, that could be seen by somebody else and cause them to perhaps reevaluate how they are viewing the movement that is currently happening. Um, and that's part of the reason why I did the, um, the challenge on Facebook about ask a black person because I feel like we are we always get so caught up and kind of worried about being non-PC about uh, when it comes to asking questions that we don't know about other cultures and black people don't we don't we don't always necessarily feel like answering certain questions white people are unsure about whether or not they can ask certain questions. So I, I wanted to t just take that moment to start, a, start just to start a dialogue and make people feel like they're in a safe environment in a safe space to where nothing is off limits. As long as it comes from a, comes from a perspective of being genuinely curious and being respectable and, I, th I thought that it was uh, it was a great it was a great success uh, and helped me to realize just how much I really don't know myself about how to handle all of this, uh, and that's something that was really eye opening for me because 
it's not even it, it's not even something that we as black people necessarily have all the answers to but i'm sorry i'm losing my train of thought here no, uh, no, no. you're good you're good yeah um it's important for it's important for us to know that even if we don't have all the answers to the challenges that we're facing that we're at least willing to try and tackle them mm-hmm. because what because once we get bogged down in uh in arguments about what is or is not the right way to protest or is or is not the right way to show support then we're losing track of the message and the message is what is most important at the end of the day i don't care how you support support please that that's all that matters to me it really is yeah i'm gonna follow up with a question but before i do that i wanted to just introduce christy do you want to say hi and who you are i'm sorry i'm late it's okay Uh, don't worry don't worry sorry we're just having a conversation i had app update issues but yeah hey everybody (laughs) um 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 christy woodard i am a filmmaker from shreveport louisiana um, I had relocated to Newark, but now I'm kind of stuck in Shreveport until I can get back up there. Um, I have no clue what has, has transpired, so I'm just going to, you know. That's- yeah, yeah, no worries. No worries. <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. You. So actually, Patrick, I was going, my follow-up question was, what were some questions that were asked that you were surprised about or that, um, that was interesting? Um, one, one in particular was uh was uh, a question about the relationship between the black community and the lgbtq community and how it hasn't always been good to put it lightly and why that is for one and what we can do in order to make it better um and that's uh and I, i've loved that question because it's it's something that i've never uh fully understood uh why at least uh from my perspective growing up i i grew up southern baptist we uh went to a, a small church with no with just fans no ac all the women had hats they were fan, uh, they had the fans we had the deacons the whole nine yards and you would hear the preacher go up every sunday and uh condemn the idea of homosexuality as it is mortal sin that will uh, con- that will condemn you to the depths of hell forever, and it it boggled my mind that though that we the black community have knowing all of the persecution and discrimination that we had gone through up until that point and still go through up until this day seemed so unwilling to show the show empathy and support for the LGBTQ community who have been going through some of the exact same things. We should, uh, I believe I said uh, something along the lines of being allies in our persecution. Yeah. This is actually a great opportunity because Tommy is a perfect person to act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, please, Tommy, uh, uh, feel free to take it away because at some certain point I get out over my skis and I'm uh, uh, losing um, conversation. 
No, no, I, I was just, I was just agreeing. You know, I, uh, growing up in LA, we were and continue to be like people who are God fearing people, but I was blessed to have parents who um, taught me specifically that my mom used to say that the Bible is a game of telephone. And she's mm -hmm. like, and you know how like you used to, as a kid, we used to pass the message down. And by the time you got to the end of the line, some something had been lost along the way. And like mm -hmm. maybe some of the essence was still there, but wow. the message was different. And she said, and that's the Bible. She said, because mm -hmm. the Bible has been, even if you believe that it's divinely inspired in its origins, over time, it's been retranslated, watered down, beefed up, you know, twisted for whatever King James wanted in that particular time, like all of those kinds of things. And so she said, basically, which is so funny when your parents are talking to you when you're like 12 and you don't realize what they're saying to you until you're like coming out to them in your 20s and you're like, oh, you were trying to help me understand that like there's nothing wrong with me and that like this book that people use to persecute me is the same book that was used to justify enslaving my people. Yes. That the text is always manipulated for what a what a bad person might need it for. And that you have like a chapter in the Old Testament people always go back to where they're like, oh, it says right here, a man shall not lay with a man. But like there are verses after that that talk about haircuts and tattoos and the kinds of seafood you're not allowed to eat. And we just casually ignore all of those things. Um, and so I, for me, it's always been a slippery slope because I tell people like, I wake up every day and there are three things I have no control over. And I have, I've had no control over them now for almost 38 years. I'm a man, I'm black, I'm gay. Those are three things that I came onto this earthly plane with that were not choices that I could make because I'm a very intelligent person and I make good choices. And in terms of choices, to be clear, I love everything about who I am, but as a, if you're sitting down and talking about choices, I'd be a straight cisgendered white man if I could choose because life would be easier for me. So why would I, to imply that like, I have a choice in my sexuality or to persecute me for my race, like is to imply that I woke up one day and thought, wouldn't it be great if I made my life terrible? <laughs> wouldn't it be great if yeah. I woke up today and I decided that it'd be really great if I don't know in any given moment, if your look at me is because I held my partner's hand or because I'm black or both. Mm that like I've been on airplanes where I fell asleep and my head landed on my boyfriend's shoulder and the woman next to me, I woke up and I reached down to grab my bag and I grazed her leg and she screamed and jumped <gasps> away from me and said that she didn't want a gay person to touch her, you know? And, and I was like, wow, wow. And I do find, and I think that therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists, you know, can speak to this more than me. I do think that like, what the majority has done a great job of throughout history is turning minority groups against each other. Because if minority groups figured out that they are actually treated the same and that there are strengths in their numbers, that if you look at Asian population, Black population, Hispanic population, Native American population, gay population, as individual things, they are small numbers. If you combine those into one group, it's the reason why there's so many letters in the LGBTQ, you know, their strength and the numbers, each of those numbers is, each of those letters is more people mm -hmm. to fight with you. And, and, I, and, what, and what the majority has done a great job of is convincing us 
that we are different. And then as minorities, we fight so hard for the little nuggets we get that then we turn on other people because no, 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 no. No, I don't want to be lumped in with that because I made it over here as this. Mm-hmm. And so that needs to fight its own battle. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I think that I'm happy that it's become a part of this because, you know, if you say Black Lives Matter, but you don't, you don't lose faith in that when you find out that a group of Black men beat a trans woman's death in the midst of all of this, then what are we doing? It's not just about, it's not, it's not just white cops that are beating Black men and killing them. There are Black and brown cops doing it as well. Everyone has to be accountable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think will help to unite these individual minority groups together to be able to fight against, uh, obviously, systemic um, racism? <laughs> well, in, the movie, I, in, in the movie version, I'd say we'd recognize a common enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. No, nothing unites groups of people like a common enemy. Uh, yeah. And, and unfortunately, maybe there's too many common enemies to unite. Um, uh, you know, I've got one super enemy that I'd love us all to unite against. Um, <laughs> he, he's orange and my mom won't say his name. Uh, oh, <laughs> right. I mean, that's a common enemy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm, no, no, this no. is the first time I've gotten to really talk about this outside of like oh, my friendship good. circle. So I'm Great. just like, I'm, I mean, yeah, this, is also, the beauty, will... this is the beauty of the podcast. I mean, I always rattle off things that I don't know. And Christine's usually the one to correct me on most things. So this is just <laughs> us. This is just us talking. And the floor uh-huh. is open to all you guys. So yes. I, I, I'm curious um, uh, with, with, the other, with the other panelists who are here. Um, I was, like I said, I, I, I just started going to therapy a year ago. I suggest for any human that they do it, especially for black and brown skin folks, because what I'm realizing uh, through therapy is the amount of trauma that I carry um, mm-hmm. just from daily existence. And I was saying and to my new th- that, I, that I didn't really realize because I thought in the moment that I handled them well and I'd moved on from them. And then as I was saying to my therapist last night, who is brand new because my regular therapist is on a break until October. And I'm like, cool, I'm trying to learn to trust you. Here we go. Cause this, um, you know, but I told her, I said that like, when these things happen, the paralyzing thing that happens to me is that all of a sudden every dark memory every tragic experience every frightening moment that i've ever had with an authority figure a police officer whatever comes flooding back to the front of my brain and it's and it's trauma and it's overwhelming it's reliving the trauma so when i get wonderful meaning text messages from friends who are like hey i'm here for you i'm an ally hope you're okay i'm like i'm really not right now because I'm reliving every single microaggression. I'm reliving the time that the police pulled me over for no reason in a very nice neighborhood and pulled me and my three black friends out of the car and accused all of us of being the Koreatown rapists, even though we look nothing alike. And we're demanding DNA samples and we're demanding to know where I'd been. And I, and I was like, all I could think to say in the moment was, um, I'm on my way to West Hollywood. Uh, right. So I'm not, I'm not a person who would, you know, even with consent, sleep with a woman. Also, um, I've been at, at that point. I had just I had just graduated from Yale. The other two black guys in the car with me were also recently graduated from Yale. And 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 it, it's like if you've never had an experience of feeling like you had to throw the kitchen sink 
at someone to prove that you are something special, that you are not what they've decided you are, that now I'm telling you where I went to college, I'm telling you my sexual preference, which at that time I hadn't even told my parents yet. You know, like, like all of these traumatic things come back to me. And I'm just curious if any of you are having, if that's just a common experience. Because obviously my, my therapist, she can't relate. So. I know. On, on social media, I've had um, people, black and white people, ask me, when was the first time I experienced racism? Have y'all gotten that question yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you were talking about. Stuff started flooding back to me as early as elementary school mm-hmm. of microaggressions that I didn't understand until I was an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's just reliving a lot of things. And like you were talking about um, the three things that, people know about you and I was telling someone the other day you know that I'm black and you know that I'm a black woman those that's all you know before you have a conversation with me but that alone gets me you know a sexism racism on a daily basis and um ingesting so much of it recently has all of that generational trauma is real if y'all don't understand that the generational racism has caused a generational trauma. Yes. And y'all need to understand that about, I mean, not just us, Native Americans, but specifically right now, Black people. And so, yeah, I've had all of these emotions along with trying to fight the fight, dealing with that inner turmoil. Yeah. So for me, as somebody who's an immigrant, I think for me, I, I went through most of my life being oblivious when racism was happening to me, if, if that makes sense. Um, it wasn't until maybe a couple years ago when maybe, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter or movements are happening, then it started clicking a lot more that, oh, that shit wasn't because they didn't like me as an individual it was because of an overall like biases or something like that and i and i think the first time that flashback happened was i so we immigrate we uh, immigrated to baltimore and baltimore is predominantly the area we were in predominantly black area um my elementary is all black so i didn't experience anything other than you know people weird xenophobia at, at times but not nothing Nothing egregious, but just like, yo, your food is funny looking. Um, but then we moved to a predominantly white neighborhood in middle school, sixth grade. And then I had an identity crisis. I, the tone of my voice, you know, I've always had this tone. And it was, it was I was always accused of, you know, sounding white. I'm mm. like, no, this is like, I come from Africa. Yeah, so I was like, I'm from Nigeria. This, I've always sounded like this. Um, but so, but I, I heard that first when I moved to this probably white school, they said like, how can you, how do you sound like that? You, 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 you're trying to act, you're trying to like act way. I, I sound blacker than you. So that's one thing. But then I remember a specific moment where I had an identity crisis when people were starting to me that I wasn't black. So then I started acting up the blackness and I had a writing prompt and I, I know what I, I intentionally wrote it in a way that made it like I had a I wrote a writing prompt and the languages you know 
I spiced it up a little bit more than I, than I know I would have. And when the teacher was reading back to it and no, like no one had, um, you, they didn't have our name on it. So the teacher read it. The first line, she said like, oh, did you write this? I can tell you wrote this. And I was like, what do you mean by that? It's like, it just sounds very uh, urban. And I was like, okay. And so I, I like, I brushed that off. I was like, and I, first, and I think initially I was like, oh, well, that's good. That's like what I really wanted it to be. But she didn't mean it like a compliment. And I, I, I just remember like that, that weird compliment. Well, to me, that weird comment that sounded like a compliment and realizing that no, that teacher was being a fucking asshole about my writing and talking about how I was being too ghetto uh, sounding in my, my writing. Um, but, but as I, as I kind of like unpacked some of my past histories with um, identity and race, um, I'm also in the camp of somebody who's more, more so listening and learning because the history of this country is something I learned through my education system and is usually through like, you know, the white, white teachers and people who, um, you know, glazed through civil rights movements, glazed through po uh, the reconstruction era, glazed through. Uh, I remember one time I asked who's Malcolm X to my teacher and I remember her response was just the opposite of everything that I, I think I knew at that point. She's like, oh, you know, this um, anti-white anti uh, segregationist um, got activist. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right. And so like, I, like, I kind of got that information through my upbringing and then not until I went to college and so, like, my parents can't teach me uh, civil rights, like, couldn't teach me this stuff because they didn't, you know, they don't, they don't know anything about this. So um, it was until, like, my 20s when I started unlearning basically everything I've learned and then started having, start asking more questions because I just wasn't exposed or aware of what the history of this country is. Mm. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> wow. I, um... I, for the vast majority of my uh, life, I've felt in some ways sort of lost in terms of uh, my identity as a as a black man. Uh, growing growing up in uh, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, um, my parents. I went from and from first grade through sixth grade, I was at uh, all white uh, private schools. And then I'm still not 100% sure as to the reason for it. I think my mother just got a little bit worried that I was losing my quote-unquote blackness. Um, and then I uh, got turned around and for seventh through eighth grade and most of ninth grade was at all black public schools. And it was, it, it was a wild sort of, clusterfuck <laughs> in a lot of ways to um to and and uh help it sort of instilled in me this feeling of never really belonging uh any anywhere in particular because i i stood out for obvious reasons uh at the all-white private school where there was no joke there was two of us mm -hmm. me and my sister, <laughs> and then three when my little brother came and uh, came and went there too, 
and then going on going to all black public schools and middle school and as uh experiencing some of the same things chinway was pointing out where black kids would stare at me when i spoke like i was doing a magic trick or something like that (laughs) i don't understand how you're talking like that and why you look like the way look the way you do and why you're walking the way that you walk and it it was it it uh it it helped me in in some ways because i've never the the feeling of being lost and not knowing exactly how i should identify myself and uh and what it means to actually be black has instilled a sense of longing and wanting to search for how i can how i can it's going to sound bad but how i can best prove myself mm-hmm. as a black person and i don't mean that so much in the negative context of trying or trying to put on something that i'm not but just doing my best to show that being black is who I am, but it's not all that I am. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, gosh, I'm bad at this. <laughs> I'm so no, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, I'm, I'm trying to come up with this as I'm, as I'm talking. Um, but it's been hard because I, for the longest time, I didn't know, I I felt like I, like I couldn't figure out a way to completely connect with my, uh, with the African-American community and culture as a whole. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, right around 2013, so God, I was 26, 27 at the time, when it started to, when these moments of police brutality and these killings of unarmed black men really started to make its way into the public conscious, I was able to, I was able to, I guess, find my find that connection that I'd been searching for for so long and was able to really use those moments to as you guys have stated go back into my life and really have an honest conversation about the experiences that I have had that for the most part I either ignored uh for the levels of racism that they were or just flat out didn't realize it because it was something that in some ways I had been trained to never even see on my radar. And now it's, um, and now it's, uh, in the, in, uh, now in my thirties, it's really become something that is quite prevalent because, um, so, so you're aware, uh, I'm married to a white woman. And bonus points, she came along with two kids from a previous marriage who were also white. So I am a stepfather to two white children. And 
it's uh it's a trip guys <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a it's a real trip you just blew um, my mind that's that's wow sorry. That's, yeah, um, i can't even imagine <laughs> but it's it's just it's tough to describe the constant in the back of my mind uh voice that is always wondering whenever we go out to a park or i'm just walking home with them from school uh if the wrong person just thinks that something is up, what could happen from there? Um, I, I, and I often try to tell the kids, like, if somebody asks you, are you okay? Don't joke around with them and say, oh, yeah, this, I don't know who this guy is, because <laughs> it could turn into a bad situation very yeah. quickly. Um, the fact so that it, you have to teach them that is just... yeah. Oh my goodness! Well, it, it's 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 good though. It, it it really is good because if I wasn't here, I feel like they very well could just go through their lives being completely unaware of the plight that other people who don't look like them have to go through. Yes, uh, and it's and it's while there are hard conversations, it's. The, the rewards from those hard conversations are make it all worth it really in the end. I will say, I think that like, God bless you. I think that like, this is, this is what the future sort of depends on. It depends on uh, a group of people that are predicted by 2030 to be mostly mixed race individuals. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, 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 it allows for, situations like yours where where those two those two children are going to have a face for the thing that they maybe wouldn't understand otherwise yeah and and so their actions will be first and foremost how will this affect patrick like i've learned from i have an actual human being to place this onto you know, I, uh, and I, and again, it goes back to even like, like the LGBTQ sort of thing. Like people always say like, oh, I don't know anyone who's gay. And I'm like, y you do. And, <laughs> you when do. You do and, it's, and especially if you love that individual and you can, if you have any issues, overcome them, then you're going to see every single moment through that person's eyes. I, you know, it, it's not an exact comparison, but I remember when I came out to my parents, my mom's and my mom and dad were both like, yeah, duh, um, uh, we know. Um, but my mom said, honestly, like the thing that keeps me up at night is that someone's going to meet you who doesn't know anything about you other than this thing. And they are going to judge you or harm you for that thing. And that's the, that's the terrifying thing for me. And I'm, and I'm wondering if like, in some weird way, like that's going to be your stepkids experience is the, like, I don't know this exact experience, but I know that it affects this person that I love. And so that's gonna be the thing that drives me to make sure that like, if somebody is speaking ill about black people or about queer people or whatever, that like, I'm gonna be a person who stands up and says, no, you know, that, that's not, not, not in front of me. And we're going to be educated now on, on why that's a terrible, a terrible space to exist in. Because as I said to my therapist, all the memories coming back, I was like, all the microaggressions and the thing that's the hardest to teach non-Black people is the microaggressions. That mm -hmm. things that come off as like small little jokes, because I grew up in the suburbs 
And mm-hmm. trust me, I, and I went to an Ivy League school. So trust me, I have heard on more than one occasion that I speak white and I immediately remind people that white people do not have, uh, are, are not the sole proprietors of speaking language. That I remember being at Yale and a white woman was looking the other direction and ran into me. And then she was in the middle of saying sorry before she saw me. And then she did a little like, and like grabbed her purse. And I said, are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) And and she said, what? I said, no, 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 no. I saw what you just did. By the way, you're excused because you just bumped into me. I said, additionally, I go to school at that school across the street right there. And they decided that my hardworking parents didn't even deserve help sending me here. So how dare you think I want your stanky ass purse? <laughs> and she was like, well, I just said, no, that's what you did. And so go on, go on with God today. Go on with God today. Because right. you, and, and you know, luckily I was with another black person, but I've had moments where like, I'm like, okay, we're being followed around this store. And my friend will be like, no, we're not. I'm like, watch this. Hi, can I help you? And then we have to play out the whole experience. I said, when I got in, um, when I was in high school, I had one English teacher, my junior year of high school, who uh, I wrote a paper on race. It was a position paper. You had to do the pro and the con, and then you had to do the like, this is my opinion. And each piece of this paper had to be turned in to be approved by her to be graded because it was, the final paper was like 60% of your grade in this class. I turned in each section of this paper and got A's. I turned in the completed paper and I got a C and immediately was like, what the hell? And she said, oh, well, for a person with such strong opinions, I felt like your final opinion was a little wishy-washy. And my final opinion was basically that after presenting the pros and cons of racism throughout American history, that we have come a long way, but there's obviously still a lot of work to do. And she decided that that was wishy-washy and gave me a C. Now here's what she didn't expect because she judged me based on my skin color and did not understand that like, I come from a mighty family of of fully wonderful individuals and my parents are soldiers. And my parents were like, what happened? Tell me everything, (laughs) leave no detail out. And I was like, here's every detail. Here are all the receipts because you taught me to keep receipts. So here's every single piece of paper (laughs) that I've turned into this woman this year. And we went into the office and she proceeded to try to paint a picture of me for my parents as some sort of disruptive degenerate who always had no problem giving his opinion. So I expected something stronger. Your son also cannot write and will never go to a good university. Wow. I'm not going, I'm not going to write him a letter of recommendation to go to a good university. Um, because I would be lying and he needs me to get into college and blah, 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 blah. So we let her just build her thing. The live is on Facebook because there's only two people on that. And then my parents like crossed her, you know, my parents sat there and they looked at me and basically were like, go ahead. And I was like, okay, great. Here are all the papers I've written for you this year. All of these papers are an A, the lowest grade is a B plus. How could someone who can't write be the recipient of these kinds of grades? Also, if... If we're piecemealing this paper together, how could all the pieces be worth A's, but the final whole be a C? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting to watch her unravel 
because I told her, I said, also additionally, my parents know every single moment from the last year in class with you where you have stepped out of bounds and I've had to put you back in your place. So don't think you're about to enlighten them on something that I haven't already shared with them. They're here today because full transparency from me was required. So Justice. Have at it, have <laughs> at it. And then, and then what's wild is a year later, uh, without any help from her, because I went to my other teachers, I got into, I applied to eight schools, I got into seven. Um, I was waitlisted at one. Uh, which was devastating to me because I was like, what? That's the one I want? <laughs> well, um, you got into seven schools? Seriously? Yeah. Which is, wow. yeah, listen, listen, overachiever. <laughs> I know, I was Me too, that. I'm you an overachiever. My, I totally yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, poor, my poor parents were like, calm down, buddy. Be kind to yourself. Um, I'm over here strutting around over my two schools. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when the Yale letter came, um, we had this thing in my senior class where in English class, we would tell, she would go, anyone get into any schools this week that they want to share? And I never shared because also part of being black is understanding that like, for some reason, when you speak on your accomplishments, you're bragging. Yeah. Um, and so I was muted about my own experience. And one of my friends decided to share that I had gotten into all these places and that I had decided to go to Yale. And a different English teacher at the same school mumbled under her breath, well, there's affirmative action for you. <laughs> oh my God. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, oh, nothing. I said, oh, no, no, I heard what you said. You said affirmative action. I said, I'm pretty certain that people like you voted out affirmative action a year ago. I said, also, um, with the exception of Yale, the other schools I applied to, uh, Actually, I guess out of the eight schools, six of the schools had theater programs I was applying directly to, and I had to audition for those programs. I said, so I think you're upset because your son who's in this class didn't get into any of those programs. And maybe it's not my blackness. Maybe I'm better at this than he is. Exactly. And then I went, and then a couple days later, and then a couple days later, I had this like, I'm still mad about this other teacher moment. And so I walked into the teacher from the year before's classroom and I stood in the back of the classroom and she said, oh, it's you, can I help you? Um, and I said, I just wanted to say hello. Um, so I just wanted to say to this whole class, juniors, I was in this same classroom this period last year and she just, I mean, great, great teacher. Said, you know, she, um, she told me that I could not write and that I would never go to a good school because I couldn't write and she would never write me a letter of recommendation. Um, I wanna tell you that I got into seven out of eight schools that I applied to. I was waitlisted at the eighth school. I'm going to Yale in the fall and on my form acceptance letter was a handwritten note saying that my writing is exceptional and part of the reason I got into the school. I said, so I guess what I'm saying is she knows everything, so listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> and then like slowly, and like slowly walked out of the room. And my parents are just finding out these stories recently. Like, you know, the one they had to come in for, they know, but they didn't know about the affirmative action. They didn't know that I went back into the room. And these memories are coming back and we're having these family discussions about them. And my mom was like, I, uh, you, uh. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry. In the moment, they didn't have the gravity that they have now. I didn't understand in the moment yeah. that those were awful, awful things. I knew they were wrong but the, the, the depth of it did not register to me until I was an adult. And I was sitting back and I was like, oh, 
that first English teacher passed away um, a couple years later from cancer. Her, the effect that she had on me was so traumatic and so lasting that when someone told me she died from cancer, the first thing that came out of my body was a laugh. And then I covered my mouth and I thought, oh no, oh my God. I'm, I'm, and, and my cousin who told me said, no, I understand that that's not who you are, but she did something that was so lasting to you, that was so evil to you and relished in it when she was doing it. Didn't expect that I would become victorious in the end, was hoping that I would lose. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to find out that, because in my brain I thought, some karmic thing happened to you and you, and you deserved that. And then I had to woos on my spirit and then sit down and be like, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Um, you understand my heart. And that was not a good moment, but wow, that's a lasting trauma. That was five years after I graduated. Now we're 20 years after I graduated and it still hurts me. It still affects, I went to college even getting into college with the note on the thing was in English classes in college, scared that I wasn't up to the standard that I should have been to be in that space. And those are not things, and, and, and that is not to say that she was not a monster to other kids. They can jump on and tell me about it if they want to, um, but not in that way. You're like, their race wasn't weaponized against them as a reason for why they shouldn't have been in a certain space. Um, and, and, as a smart kid, as a suburban race kid, that is just the constant flow of it. And then I found myself in this weird, which Patrick was sort of alluding to, in this weird space of like, I'm, I'm not black enough, and I'm, but I'm still black. Yep. And, so, yep. and, so, and so white people don't think I'm black enough, and some black people don't think I'm black enough, but I'm black. Mm-hmm. by sheer birth it's my birthright mm-hmm. so that means that whatever i am however i exist whatever i do is blackness mm-hmm. and it's taken me almost 38 years to understand that uh because you know it, it's it's hard to find your identity when you are told that you're i remember we had some kids stay with us when i was younger some white kids my mom's friends stayed with us while the parents were out of town. And then the friend came back and she said, oh, my mother-in-law said, well, where'd you leave the kids? And I saw I left them with the Hobsons. And she said, you left them with the Hobsons. And I said, yeah, oh no, they're not like that. They're like us. They're like good black people. <laughs> and like laughed with my, laughed and my mom just stared at her like, oh. that is, that is to me actually more offensive than your just outright racist mother mm-hmm. the covert and now we, yes and now we have to have a teachable moment about this that the, the idea that like you're a good black person the idea that like knowing that white people get to be everything in all things you can be you can be a generous billionaire like a warren buffett or a bill gates or you can be an asshole twat billionaire like i won't say any more names because I, 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 I won't because it's but John, John. I'm, just, I'm just saying like there, there are you can also be a trailer park white person 
you know, but you don't get, white people don't get judged by the worst of them. They are allowed to be multifaceted individuals. They are allowed to be the entire spectrum of the human experience and minorities and especially black and brown minorities are the worst of themselves. White people are allowed to be a few bad apples. Yes. As, as someone said to me on my, one of my posts about, about this during the Ferguson rallies and this lady said, all I know is a black man killed my father. Like yelling at me over Facebook. And I was like, first of all, this post is not about you, ma'am. You're proving the point I was making actually. So thank you. I said, additionally, one black person in some random act of violence in the eighties killed your father. And I'm sorry for that. But I've never villainized you for 400 years of your people killing me. I've never done that to you. So why are you on my post invalidating my black experience because you had one bad experience with one black person when I've had a million bad experiences with bad white people and I've been forced every day to still smile my way through, still go to work on a set where I was told the day before, if I could just be, you know, if you just, can you just like, Black you know, just like, just like go there, you know, just like, just like, you know, just be like, urban. Just like, can you just like, you know, and, and I'm at the point now where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what are you, what, yeah. are you, what are you trying to say? What do you want to say to me? I am. Um, I am. This is, this is what you hired, you know? I said, but then I go back to work the next day. And I'm smiling, you know, and, and God bless them because they're wonderful people. But on my Nickelodeon show, we had a situation season one. I was just Mr. Feelgood for 20 episodes. And then we had this thing happen where we had to rename the show and we had to go back and refilm every single moment that we said our name. And we had to refilm those moments. It took two weeks. It was a lot. Um, and on the last moment, we had to refilm our opening dance, our opening credits. And I said, um, just to be clear, I do not see the choreographer here. And I want to be clear with you that that's not my job. And so if we get to the point where it's time to refilm the opening credits and he's not here, I'm not teaching my castmates this dance unless you're going to pay me to be the choreographer today. And then we went to lunch and then we came back and they sent the first AD over to me. And he was like, Tommy, I'm so sorry. It was an oversight on our part. We forgot to call in the choreographer. Could you please? And, and I called a meeting in the middle of the set. And I was like, let me be clear about this. This is not my job. I'm going to do it right now because this is the one thing that stands between me and hiatus. After this is done, then I don't have to see you all for a couple months. I said, but just to be clear, Season two of this show, if this happens, it is not my job to do this. And on more than one occasion, you have made it my job and it's not my job to do this. And oh my God, everyone came running in. The executives came down from like their offices because they were watching on the screen and it was like, Tommy, calm down. We, you know, everything's okay. You know, we are sorry. We, I said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that because I've been here for eight months and I've never raised my voice one time. Meanwhile, my castmates, whom I love, who are still to this day, some of my closest friends, have gone off on you several times. This is my one time and we're not gonna make it into that because whether you're doing it on purpose or not, you're now making me feel like I'm irrationally angry black man. And in fact, I have a right in this moment to be upset about this, yeah. you know? But then what did I do? 15 minutes later, I taught them the dance 
I smiled and sang my way through it, and then we wrapped the season. Like that, that that balance, that back and forth is exhausting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something like you said, um, I want to add on to something that um, brought up a memory. Um, I feel like, so something that white people or non-black people can do is um, not gaslight us when we're telling you things that are happening. And um, also there's things you can do outside of social media, like talk to people about what just happened. Um, for like, I'll give an example, like in high school, we were, so I, I were at AP history class towards the end of the class. And we're just talking about what are we doing outside of school. And there's a, a, a student who was involved in the debate team and they were, I guess they were getting their ass handed to by another school. And that school was a predominantly black school and they were quote unquote in the inner city. And the, um, the white student who's in the debate team, she had no problem with it, but she was just like, oh yeah, they're just really good. And she just named the school and we all know what school, like what that means. That means that that's a black school and this white boy. And at the time, he, I mean, he, he was my friend. So he goes, but isn't that a black school? And he just said it like that in a very disgusting disbelief that like a black school, like <laughs> an inner city school, uh, would be this good at debate and is on their way to like a like a championship debate and um and everyone just like just got quiet and just looked at me and then they were expecting me to be the one who voiced like uh, my displeasure and even my teacher so my teacher like i think it was like this this beat this long pause no one said anything and they were just waiting for me to stand up for myself but i had to like wage to my and i had this internal dialogue like I have to really consider how I'm gonna say this because this this kid is really popular in this in the school. He's well liked. If I cuss him out, everyone already thinks I'm I'm like this um, too upfront person, and I'm already have like this target in my back for people thinking I'm just this huge bitch for defending defend, defending myself. So I was like, I can, I'm not going to do it. I expect, I fully expect the teacher to do this to say like that's not acceptable. Don't don't say this thing. What she did was. She said nothing and then just changed the subject. So then what I did, I, I went to my guidance counselor, told my guidance counselor about this, and he was upset. So he talks to my teacher, and my teacher was supposed to, the next day, address it in classroom. She decided not to. And I, I was fully aware that she was supposed to because my guidance counselor told me, I talked to the teacher. She is going to talk about it the next day. The whole, the, the whole day, she didn't, she didn't talk, it again, talk about it again. So this white, so this, um, so like me and this white boy, and he still might. I mean, I, I'm still in disbelief that like, he thought this, like because he equated blackness as uneducated or unqualified to just, you know, be uh, competing or anything like that. Uh, he was supposed to have given me an apology, and he just kept staring at me. Like it was just, it was just dead silent. And so, if I could say anything for just non-black people um, and white people, you. At times, you have to just say something. Don't wait for us to be the ones we like, um, like help us articulate what we're trying to say because we know at any time we speak up, it's is a little violent, um, or we're perceived very um, negatively by speaking up for ourselves. Um, adults, you are the adults in the room. Like, why aren't you not saying anything? Like, um, <laughs> um, just like it's just like a little fresh. I have a couple. I had another incident like this 
where it was also, it was a colorism ish issue um, between, between me and a, a white boy. We're in Spanish class and we're learning our, our colors, yada, yada, yada. We all know that the color black means Negro. And so my teacher, or my Spanish teacher says, uh, we're quizzing us about the, co the color and somebody says Negro, or Negra, like Chinue, the color Chinue. And my teacher did not say anything. She just moved, she just moved on. And everybody was like, what the fuck? And what the fuck? But they didn't say anything. It was like, they just didn't, like their, their expression was like, what the fuck? But without mm -hmm. saying anything. And I had to be like, oh, I, I had to like laugh it off. Like, oh, I get, uh, you're funny, you're funny, whatever. But that was hurting me because I know it hurt, um, because I, I knew it was visibly, it was, it was known that it was hurting me because um, later that day in the bus, somebody brought it up and said, yo, that was fucked up. I'm so sorry that happened. And I was like, wait, where were you? You could have said something at that moment because I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, no, it, it's, a, it, it's exhausting. <laughs> it, it, it really is uh, because you feel that weight of responsibility um, for any time there's a, a moment of uh, racism or semi-racism uh, that happens either to you or around you, 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 you almost, uh, at least for me anyway, you almost feel like you, you just drop your head and your shoulders slouch and you're like, oh, here I go. We got we to gotta do this again <laughs> because no one else is going to say anything. So I'm the one that has to bring the energy for this. And uh, I, I mentioned it uh, the other day on Facebook uh, one of the things that is interesting sometimes is when a moment of racial injustice or something like that will happen and I'll have uh, a white friend bring it up to me and they're coming, they're coming with all this energy and all this uh, outrage about it and they're uh, super pissed and they expect me to be at that, that, uh, that extreme level with them as well. And they get taken aback sometimes when instead of being at a 10 about this, I'm more at like a four or five mm -hmm. and they wonder why. And a lot of times it's just, I don't have the energy to continually keep putting out these fires. Mm -hmm. So as weird and as awful as it sounds, sometimes I just have to conserve my energy for so for the things that really need to be addressed and need to happen. And, 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 some, and, and sometimes, it, and it's, it's tough to look at it that way, but it wouldn't have to be that way if we had more people carrying the weight with us and, try, and helping us to carry that load. Uh, because otherwise, you, uh, you have instances, instances where you'll just throw up your hands and say, I, I've, I've got nothing for you here. I've got nothing for you on this one. And when, those, when things like that end up being let go, it perpetuates uh, the narrative that it's okay. So, yeah, no, I've, it's exhausting to me. I've, I saw, I, so there's I, a viral video going on with this, little, um, this young girl who uh, she's, having a conversation with her parents her parents are off camera but it was like this long yeah like and i i just watched it. i watched it and i was like that is exactly what you need to do um yeah. i 
I have, I have, I'm in the same position. I'm in a similar position because as we, as, as an immigrant, there is some, there's a weird relationship uh, Africans and are having right now. Like they're, they're so far from they're They feel that they're removed from this moment right now. Mm. And it's just like, I look at them like, but you're, it's obvious you're black. They're like a cop is not gonna like check your check your identification. Like, oh, what are you from Nigeria? So you're just a different type of black. Like I don't. I was like, what? This is still about you right now. This is still includes you right now. So I I'm also in a, I'm also in a situation where I have to keep talking to people in my community and like and have them uh, denounce the narrative they've had already about what the black experience is because because the, their experience is so different. As being, um, I think like they bought into this narrative where, you know, like you, we come from the country poor and we have one generation to prove that, that the American dream is possible. And when they prove it, that just denounces that racism is a, like, is a, it's a barrier for people. So for instance, I, I, I also admit that when I was growing up, I also bought into this narrative because I saw how my family came from Nigeria. We, we came from Nigeria and we've, are, we've been successful. And so I couldn't comprehend how, I, I believe in the single narrative that if you are, if you cannot be successful in this country, it's because of your own wrongdoing. And I bought into that until until before I got into college. And I don't, maybe like somewhere in high school, I bought into that narrative until, until then. And it was only because of a lack of like contest in, um, in history, it, like this historical uh, timeline of where we are in this country. And I think one incident where it clicked on me was when Coretta King Scott uh, passed away. I had no idea that she, okay, so for instance, I, I, like, I looked at her age, I was like, well, that's the same age as my grandma. And then just, and then to me, like when I was hearing about Dr. King and, and, and like the civil rights movement, it sounded so far away. Like it was 200 years ago. These people mm-hmm. are far gone. And the fact that she passed away in, I think it was 2005, 2006. And that was just still in this time period where it's like, that's my grandma's, my grandma is her age. That means Dr. King's had um, children that are my parents' age and their kids are roughly my age. It was, it started clicking that this is, this is a very short time period. And everybody mm-hmm. like, there's been things thrown at like the black experience, like the black people have had to overcome other barriers just to get to that one generation that can change it all. And um, that's when I, it started clicking to me. It was like, okay, like there is something going on and it's not because somebody individually is doing something to cause their self to, um, you know, live a certain life, like uh, go through the pain of, um, and a trauma of, of life. And so uh, as I'm saying, I'm saying this, like there is also a conversation I'm having with people in my community and having them understand, like, it's not because of a few bad apples within the black community. This is a, this is a systemic problem right now. And you can also be, um, you can also fall victim to this because at the end of the day, you're black. You know, and I, I like don't separate yourself from being Af- not African. And cause it's like, at the end of the day, they're not going to know that until 
they see your name or they see they hear your accent. They're like, who cares? Like, yeah, that uh, my my best friend um, li lives in Kansas. Uh, he is um, a darker skinned black dude. He's got a white wife and two, almost three. The the third baby will be here in August. Um, three little beautiful little mixed babies, and uh, he called me. And he was just in um he was a little distraught because somehow growing up in the suburbs, my two best friends from childhood are um deeply chocolate, as I call them, men. And we uh um and we have these shared experiences of like we used to jokingly call me the ambassador because when we would go places together, I was always the one who was like, Hi, we would need we need some help, you know, yeah. like just good old like you like me, don't be scared of my friends, they're good people. <laughs> Um, and my buddy has found himself now, he's uh, an executive at a really large insurance company. And, uh, you know, he said that one of the guys in one of their Zoom meetings tried to invalidate his entire black experience by saying, oh, you don't count, you went to Yale, you don't know what they're going through. Hmm. And he said, I had to ask him, first of all, is the Yale somehow tattooed to my forehead? Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that when someone rolls up on me, who wants to do me harm that they're like, oh, let me see your diploma before I do you harm. No, they don't. And then he said, I asked him, I said, um, that neighborhood a couple blocks away that no one wants to go to, would you let your kids play there? And the guy said, no, I'd be worried about them. He said, okay, I want you to imagine the feeling that you have thinking about your kids playing on that street corner. And I want you to feel like that every second of every single day. He said, because that is how I, that fear that you hold for your kids being in that space, that's the fear that I live with every single day. And now I have almost three children and I'm going to have to now have it for myself and then for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, much to his credit, I'll give him a lot of credit because he, he, you know, he pushed back. They ended the meeting. The CEO called and was like, dude was an asshole. I told him as much like you know thank you for speaking your truth and then um and then my friend was like i think we need to as a company that's based in the midwest like we need to release a statement that says that like we stand with this moment and with these people um and they did um uh which which i thought was really i was like way to go bud you know mm -hmm. because we you know definitely weren't raised to be wallflowers but we also you know like just because we had to, we were kids who assimilated and we, and we figured out how to exist in a way that wouldn't make too many people uncomfortable. And, and I, a long time ago gave that up, but it's been interesting to have conversations with those two people who are both married to white women and have mixed race children and now have them go, Oh, I've got kids. And, and everything I thought that I could do, that I was falsely told I could do to help myself rise above this station in life and be more than just this black person. I'm realizing now as I'm sitting in these Zoom board meetings that that's actually not true. That these people still are camping me in the, but you're a good black person. Those things don't happen to, 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 your, to the good ones. And again, when I'm driving around, when he's driving around Kansas City in his luxury vehicle, no one knows what he does. No one cares. You know, um, he's moving to the suburbs 
uh, into a bigger house. And, and he was like, you know, I need to do this for my kids because the education system's better in the suburbs. He was like, but I'm also terrified because my neighbors, we were joking about housing prices because I was telling him that he bought a, a freaking mansion for $700,000. And uh, I was laughing because I have a townhouse in LA and and my townhouse is cost more than his house. I was going to say it's probably um, just as much. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's got six thousand square feet and six bedrooms and six bathrooms and like land, and I've got you know three bedrooms and two and a half bathrooms and like fourteen fifteen hundred square feet. You know, could could done worse. But he said, "Well, yeah, I you pay more, but my neighbors have Trump flags." Mm. You know, and I was like, "Yeah." Yeah, yeah, I'll pay the I'll pay the higher <laughs> yeah. I'll pay the higher price. But I do think what we're learning now is that like we have to be even more suspicious of and not to overgeneralize, but you know, case or it happens to us and I'm gonna speak in generalities right now, but like you have to be very cautious right now of the enlightened liberal white person. Uh, you know, the situation in Central Park, Central Park yeah. was was yeah. such a, an example of something that's happened to me. It's happened to many black people that I know um, when they're when when they're correct and the and the majority um, raced person doesn't want to be wrong. Um, we stood outside two nights ago with our flashlights for eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence for for, uh, for George Floyd. And it was interesting because I've lived in my home for eight and a half years. There's five units in my building. So I know all of my neighbors because we're, we have our HOA and we have meetings and we hang out, but the houses that are in my neighborhood, none of them have ever spoken to me before. And standing out there with the flashlight, the lady across the street was like, hello, hi, what a moment, huh? What a great time. I'm so happy we could be a part of this movement, I wish we could be downtown really? with everyone. It looks so great yeah. down there, but you know, with the coronavirus, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Kathy and this is John and this is our son, Skip, and then our dog's barking, <laughs> that's Lou barking in the house. And you know, it's just so nice to meet you. And, and my sister and I were like, nice to meet you as well. Wow, this is a long time. I don't know if you've done it, but eight minutes and 46 seconds yeah. on my, on my own feet, standing with a flashlight was agony. Because I was like, I, I'm actually just doing this because I want to. I'm trying to imagine the situation that man was in. And also now I'm trying to like assuage your white guilt that you're having. Right. Because you're like, oh, I have black neighbors I've never spoken to. Um, and then I turned around and my partner was gone. <laughs> and I was like, where the hell did he go? And you know, nine minutes later, I came back in the house and I said, babe, what happened? And he was like, I couldn't do it. I wasn't going to do it. Like yeah. you haven't spoken to any of us in the whole time we've lived here. In fact, when we've parked our cars in front of your home, you've given us looks, you've done the things people do when you're like, who, what is that? Who are they? Should they be here? And now you want to make yourself feel better by holding up a flashlight and being like, look at us, look what we did. We wish we could be downtown, you know? And it's like, cool. Right now it is in vogue. It is the zeitgeisty thing to do to like, preach the Black Lives Matter and post a black square and, you know, and post, you know, happy birthday to Breonna Taylor and justice for Breonna Taylor and all of those things. But the simple fact is this, 
as has happened countless times in moments like this before, the world will eventually move on. And what are you going to do then? Because I can't <laughs> pretend like these things aren't happening. I don't get to move on from it. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know how to create a situation in a world where I'm not scared to leave my home or my, or, you know, my, my body doesn't tense up when I'm driving my car and a police officer drives by me or I drive by a police. I don't know how to stop that. And I don't get to stop thinking about it. So I don't know what the answer is in a macro level, but at the micro level, all of this attention is great. Where will you be in a week? Where will you be in two weeks? Where will you be in six months when the news cycle has moved on? The most encouraging thing about this moment has been that these corporations are speaking out. A couple of them have slowly like taken those bold statements off their social medias, but the majority of them have not just made statements, which was groundbreaking on its own, but the verbiage, the actual word usage, the Disney using the word killed. Um, ben and Jerry's using the word murdered. Yep. Like, that is so powerful and it's so helpful in a movement. You know, I said one of the first people to speak out was Nike. And I know people want to say whatever they want to say, but I said, like, as a queer person and as a black person, whether whether it's been like, you know, focus groups or not, simple fact is Nike for years has been supporting gay pride, has a whole line of gay pride, like merchandise that benefits different causes. Um, it's part of the reason why, like, I'm nobody in terms of my fitness, but I always wear Nike because I feel like, you know, I like this. And then with Colin Kaepernick, who people want to talk about, you know, peaceful protesting, this is not the way to do it. The man kneeled. He spoke mm -hmm. to a, a military person and said, I want to know the best way to respect the flag, but show that like, I'm protesting. And the man said on the battlefield, when we lose a soldier, we take a knee. You can do that. And it shows the respect that we would show on the field. And he did that. And he was villainized for that. Mm -hmm villainized for it, lost his whole career. Nike stood by Nike. They And they burned their Nikes. <laughs> Someone sent me a picture today talking about, you know, oh, we shouldn't be burning businesses. Someone sent me a picture today of a group of white men mm. laughing and having a good time while in front of them, a black body is burning. Mm. White families used to go to the park for picnics on Sunday while someone was being hung. Our selective memory about what violence is and who has inflicted violence upon whom is also exhausting. I think that if anything, the black community should be applauded for it only for it only for it only coming out in bursts. For it only coming out in bursts. Because it really it really is a situation you know, it's a situation that could be volatile all the time. And if not for the grace of God, <laughs> would, would, would that energy not pour out? You want to talk about violence? When you, when you think about the Tulsa riots, which if you haven't seen the Watchmen people watch that, oh, so good. I mean, it's such an integral part of that storyline. And that's not a, that's not a unique moment. 
it's not an anomaly. Watch the movie Rosewood. Like, mm. if you yeah. want to understand why, like, a white woman pretending to be attacked by a black man in a park is triggering, because yeah. a white woman in Rosewood pretended to be attacked by a black man, and they murdered an entire town of black people. Mm. And then after it was done, she was like, oh, I'm lying. I actually was with this other person. I just didn't want to get caught, and I'm sorry. And there were really no consequences for that. Emmett Till, same, same story. And that woman just went to her grave and was like, oh yeah, I made it all up. There were never any consequences for that. And you wanna be mad about an insured building. I don't particularly care for burning down buildings. I don't know, I don't think that the majority of the people doing that are even really focused on what this cause is. I know that for a fact, but check yourself if you're more enraged about a target than you are about the person Right. or the persons because that target will be rebuilt for free yep. that yep. man no longer exists his mother father don't get to see him anymore his daughter is raised in a world without him six years old and he's gone mm. so what are you going to do to make sure that in a year from now we're not back in this same spot watching a damn video that in, that enrages all of us and then we're back to the streets again the thing that's happened right now that I think is really interesting is that we're all, we've all been locked in our homes for three months mm -hmm. and people keep asking what's different about this. And I think what's different about it is we have no choice but to pay attention because the distractions are gone. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you're sitting at home and you're consuming it. You're being bombarded with it. And my non-black friends are like, oh my God, that, this, you feel like this all the time? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> all of the time. The greatest performance most of your black friends are doing is looking like they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. When actually they're walking around with, especially for African Americans, I mean, I think I think I think the psychology uh folks just said that like black people, black men have PTSD in this country. You know, that like so imagine it, you've seen people like you in nonviolent moments being arrested by police and their lives were ended for no reason. So why would you be, be docile? Why would you willingly give yourself to these people? Why wouldn't you think, oh my God, this could be the end of me? And then have your body and your mind and your spirit respond in whatever way it wants to to that moment because you've been conditioned by proof to know that this could end badly for you that because of cell phone videos, now people that don't look like us know this happens. Yeah. But let's remember that Rodney King was beaten on tape one of the first times we watched it on tape and the officers were acquitted. And a jury watched him do nothing and be beaten senseless. Yeah. So what do you do? As I wrote on Facebook, I said, what do you do? What is the answer? Because my, my kneeling wasn't good enough for you. It was, it was not the right way to protest. Every step in between was the wrong way to protest. Now we're in the streets and it's the wrong way to protest. How? So what am I supposed to do? All, all of it's just def deflections uh, and ways that, uh, that people attempt to avoid talking about what the real problem is. The, the, you, you don't want to talk about uh, how black people are targeted by the police and how racism is still very much an issue. So you argue about the flag. 
and what and whether or not it's disrespectful to the flag although even though as you just pointed out tommy uh colin kaepernick clearly explained in very specific detail why it wasn't oh well you've got us on that okay so we'll argue about why you shouldn't be rioting or looting okay well you're that upset about buildings being burned down to the point where the Philadelphia Inquirer has a headline in their newspaper that says buildings matter too. <laughs> when it comes Whoa, inanimate to, objects matter too. Yeah, yeah. It's seriously, seriously. Corporations are people too, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to black people being persecuted, silence. Oh, because well, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about that. So I'm going to make this about something else and hope that you follow along with me until the point where we just argue and argue and argue around in circles until, as you say, Tommy, eventually a week, two weeks, a month passes and the news cycle has chewed it up and spit it out. And now we forget what in the world we were talking about in the first place, which was a black man who... Also, an argument that they uh, tend to discuss, and by they, I mean Candace Owens in this particular instance, uh, is talking about the character of George Floyd, which has zero to do with the immediate circumstance of him being prone on the ground, not fighting back, having his life taken away from him. That's what we're talking about. That's what the issue is. You can try and uh, deflect and lead me on with these uh, with these carrots and all these other different directions. No, you need to stay focused on what I am saying to you, and listen to what I am talking about here, which is a man was killed in the broad of day on videotape video camera, whatever. And no one did anything to help him. No one saw it as anything that was remotely out of the ordinary. There's there's just something so galling about the fact that the man had his hands in his pockets while he had his knee on that man's neck, nonchalant about the fact that he was taking this person's life. And it just speaks to how little black, the black lives are valued in particular by the police. And it, it's, it's maddening when you hear people talk about all lives matter. And I, I just, yeah. it, it's, I, I just can't wrap my head around the level of, be, uh, how self-centered you have to be to hear someone say to you, black lives matter, and you are offended by that. Black lives matter. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All lives matter, man. All lives matter to me. Well, do they though? Do they though? Yeah. <laughs> because you saying that makes me feel like either you have a reading comprehension problem right. or you do not care. It, that second one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. I said, you got, I said, you got people out here who like, I, I know some of my friend's parents voted for Trump and their, their justification at the time was, well, we're Catholic and we don't believe in abortion. <laughs> and I was like, cool. So 
we just ignore all the other things that go against God according to the way you view things. We're just going to ignore everything else this man's done wrong and we're going to focus on this. And then my question to you is, then why the hell don't you give a shit about the lives once they come out of that canal? Mm. Like you're fighting so hard to protect a fetus and then the fetus is born and now it's black and brown and now who gives a crap? Mm-hmm. You know, one of my oh, friends sent I me challenged- a- Go ahead. Oh, no, no, please. I challenge some of the people who have been adamant about being pro-life mm. over the past week. And um, and then it deflects to um, black abortion numbers, which is yeah. ridiculous. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of the, the, the pro-life, the pro-Trump, the even this week when he did the most disgusting thing, it, I didn't think it could get more disgusting, but he did the most disgusting thing he's ever done yeah. as president. And people are still like, well, um, the protesters were rushing them, you know, like pushing these, I think that's what's angered me the most this week, pushing these false narratives and not giving the entire story, saying that George Floyd was a criminal, but not saying that he did his time for, for the crimes he committed. Mm-hmm. Um, he did his time. He came out. And but was also, who cares? Yeah, also, I'm telling cares? that part of the narrative. Right. It, and yeah, nobody cares. But it's like, if you're going to push the narrative, tell the entire story. Yes, but that's not what they do. Like, you're yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I, you know, we watched uh, one of those Fox News crazy people, like, span a, span a narrative in real time yeah. where he took this moment and then basically said that actually more white men have been killed by black by, by police officers than black men. So black people and the Black Lives Matter movement are trying to use a lie to overthrow this country yes. and take and power. We're all and I was like, don't forget that. And I was and like in real time, like I've actually cut off my news supply starting with the pandemic because it was just my anxiety levels were through the roof. So I check in when and where I need to. But I was like, are you wait? No, this this headline can't be true. Oh, we're doing this. Yeah, mm. you you are willing to go this far when problem. when I'm simply like you know and 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 not to you know draw straws here, but I'm like you know uh, when a white kid shoots up a school, right? We do everything in our power to devillainize them, mm. to go through their life and try to figure out what went wrong. Perfect home. He was troubled. They said he was troubled. He was troubled. Mm. If a, bl- if a black kid does something crowd. with the wrong crowd, if a black kid does something, I told my mom, I said, one of the scariest things for me in life is that I understand that heaven forbid, knock on wood, I don't want it. But if anything like this ever happened to me, they would lose their minds. I've never even had a detention. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to spin that narrative? How are you going to spin the narrative when you can't find one tiny skeleton in the closet to say, well, this what happened to him is awful, but you know he did <laughs> do this find thing one time. Of your relatives, yeah. <laughs> go into your family, dig in their skeletons. I mean, and that's the thing, though. My parents don't have skeletons, so you'd have to right. retch back to like a like a Rich. auntie, third, third, <laughs> yeah. You know, sorry. You'd you'd have to be like, oh, his step auntie, you know, <laughs> so did, far did time in 1985 for you know, and but like these are the. I I, I told someone I said, the scariest thing about what's happening. And this is not an American issue, by the way, it's, it's global. But what the scariest thing that's happening in the world is that the majority is realizing that the minority is waking up and also growing and that the minority is going to take over the majority. And so you've got these 
little tiny fires that are being relit because it's dying. Mm-hmm. It's the, it, it, like you're looking at your own death, your own destruction, and this is the fight back. If you can twist the narrative where white people are, are, are victims in this country, where the Justice Department of Donald Trump is actually investigating white hate crimes, mm-hmm. like that's yeah. one of your focuses is that we need to make sure we're talking about true crimes, true hate crimes, which are against white people and religious people. And you're like, are you kidding? You're serious. Okay, Donald Trump is, the day that Barack Obama was elected, I remember sitting on the foot of my bed and I was like, I can't believe this is happening. My mind is blown. Mm-hmm. Also, a few minutes later, gay marriage was banned in California. So it was a very weird night for the, <laughs> for the, for, for the parts of my body. Half of me was like, yes. The other half was like, what? Um, <laughs> but I remember sitting there, I've got pictures of like the TV screen and we're all cheers in. And then I remember watching his acceptance speech and I, and I didn't breathe. I was not breathing. Mm-hmm. And I looked around this room and there were a bunch of black people in this room and none of us were breathing. And then when he finished his speech and walked off the stage, we all exhaled and we started laughing mm-hmm. because we realized we were all having the same shared experience, which was, please don't, please don't kill this man. Yep. Yeah. Please, uh, please don't take this. They were walking in their parade. This. I was like, oh my, my gosh. God. Thank you. The please parade. Don't. I don't think I've ever felt more anxiety oh watching in my life than when him and like, Michelle Like, don't get out the car. Oh, oh. I collectively had the exact same feeling. This was like, oh, oh. oh my God. My, I held my breath. I'm like, this, what's gonna, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When? Please, God, no. And then I said the next morning, uh, that night we went to bed and I looked at my partner and I said, things are gonna get really bad now, aren't they? And he said, yeah. And I was like, okay. Because they were already feeding this narrative of post-racism America, because we elected a black person, way to go us, bravo, look what we did, we've conquered racism. And then I was like, what's gonna happen now is there are these dormant humans who in the 1964, 1968, civil rights acts, they were pushed up into the hills and they've been living up there in their little worlds. And now they need to come down from those hills because their country has been taken. And they did. And we started to see it at the, their (laughs) country. And we started to see it. Yes, we started to see it at the end of Barack's presidency with that whole cattle ranch thing in Nevada where they were just like, yeah, anti-government yeah. blocking the road like all and i was like yeah this is this is and i remember saying to one of my best friends she said well explain to me what privilege is how do i know what privilege is this is four years ago actually exactly four years ago and i said privilege is you standing in front of me as a white female and telling me that there's no scenario in hell where you would vote for hillary clinton because bernie was your guy mm-hmm. so fuck it all because she's a crook. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and in that moment, four years ago, I said, this is privilege. This is privilege. I've never, in all of my voting life, my parents have never, in all of their voting lives, gotten to just vote strictly on a strict set of principles. Mm-hmm. We've had to look at the politicians who were presented to us and decide who was the least likely to kill, maim, make our lives worse? Who was lying the least to us? That part. 
So in 2016, I went in and I voted for Hillary Rodham Clinton because I was like, I actually know that there's something worse. Yeah. And so many people did not do that. And now here we are back in the same space four years later, we've, we keep digging new bottoms. Every time I think we've flatlined, we find a new, a new deeper level of hell to descend to. And I'm still hearing people who are using even this moment to be like, well, if you would just vote to Bernie Sanders and we, who the F cares? At this point, there is one person who is a nightmare human who is mm -hmm. doing irreparable damage that could last for generations. Your principles don't effing matter right now. And if you need to be reminded of that, talk to a black friend, talk to a queer friend, and you know what, talk to a gay black friend, because honestly, we're having many conversations in the queer community about white privilege mm -hmm. and racism within the gay community, because it is rampant and it is awful. Um, and for the first time ever, they're having a pride and black pride solidarity march. Oh, good. Here in LA. And even that is running into issues now because people are upset that like the white pride, which has never really extended its hand to black pride is doing this, but have sent a letter to like the police basically saying, we've been doing this for 50 years. You've always worked with us. Here's our plan for the day. We plan to keep it peaceful. We are protesting police violence against black people. And now there's people who are upset that they reached out to the police. And I'm like, but that's what they, that's what they've done. They're, again, Perfect. Full circle. There are no, there are, right. and there are no going to be no right answers right now. I think the symbolic gesture of making a traditionally white pride moment about not just black queer people, but about black lives in general, is a huge step for a fractured community. So, I, I, I you know, it's, 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 it's. It's all just my and I and and again every time I have this conversation I end it the same way which is just I don't know I don't know yeah. what but you I said it yourself what. we have a common enemy you know we have yes. we have this that we have this person who is just like just I mean I I, I for me I'm seeing this as like a like a a thing that we all united since 2016. You know, we've mm -hmm. all just very, from November on, we're like, okay, well, we know that he's going to be a problem. And yes. this is not, this is, this is going to be an issue in the next couple years, three years, four years, you know. And, and, and now I to understand too yeah. that, that liberal people, liberal people, and this is, this is the beauty and also the struggle of liberalism, is liberal sure. people can be fractured. They can be divided because there are yes. levels of liberalism. Conservatives just fall in line and they twist their their logic into whatever crazy weirdly thing it really yeah, they, a cult it's wild to watch <laughs> yeah. they'll be like they'll be like like i said my friend's parents were like four years ago were like i would never vote for donald trump even if he were the nominee and i was like okay let's talk again in november and then in november it was well you know abortion and we're catholic mm -hmm. i was like yeah, yeah you you're gonna oh, twist and you're contorting that body, but with liberals, it's like there are ways to be liberal. You can be too liberal. You can be not liberal enough. Mm -hmm. And, like and everything like, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, like until there is a viable third party option in this country, if you write in a name that's not one of the two lead candidates, you've wasted your time. Yep. If you vote for a third party candidate, you have wasted your time. You've wasted your vote and you put a vote in the column for the bad guy. Yep. And that's just what it is. And I would love to be idealistic, 
And I hope that one day we can change that situation. But until we do, mm-hmm. that's our voting system. Yeah, that's yeah. our voting system. And if you don't vote for the person who is the lesser of the two evils, unfortunately, there's no other way to put it than that, then like you are contributing to the problem. I have friends now that are in these streets hardcore and I'm quick to remind them on occasion. And one of them is a black dude that he wrote in Cookie Monster on the 2016 ballot. So (laughs) let's not do that again, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think this is a perfect segue to what can be done that's long-term and you guys are right. It's voting. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's vote. It's going out there. And I remember Patrick had mentioned like, Oh, this is a great time to register people to vote. If, if, if any of you guys are involved in that aspect and just the lesser of the two evils should be exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's, it's voting. Vote that's the best off, way man. to vote. And it's not just on, the the presidential level it's the mayors the governors locally vote yeah vote mm-hmm. people yeah. out yes. who are perpetuating the problem yep. yeah yes if, if, if you don't like the uh, uh forgot her last name but her first name is jackie she's like the da of la and people hate her because she's a black woman who stands firmly with police and often has not pursued oh. prosecution against police for different things i'm like cool guess what next time she's up for election get her ass out of there yeah yep. Bye, Felicia. Yeah. And, I tell people all the time, uh, I've been worrying about November for well over a year now. Because... It, Why do you say that? Come to the, well, people need to come to the honest realization that it's going to get worse. Oh, yeah. It really is. A, 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 a dying star is brightest right before it goes out. You know? Mm-hmm. And the way that the way that things have been in our country and this America that uh, conservatives keep wanting to get back to that they consider great is dying and they are going to fight like hell. Yes. It's not going to be given. Things are going to get nastier. It's going to get worse and worse and worse leading up to the election and people need to steal themselves to that reality. Yeah. Because don't come, don't come to me in December. If thing, if, uh, if, uh, what's his face, I'll just say that has won again and talk about how I had no idea that that was possible. I didn't think that that was going to happen. I just assumed that, you know, everybody was on the same page on this. Uh, I remember it was um, right, right after he got elected the first time, or the election night, I saw somebody posted that uh, this election feels like the, t- the time in school where you've done your part of the uh, project, the um, work for the, uh, for the uh, presentation, but you don't know if anybody else has. And I hope that everybody else has done their part of the homework for the assignment so that we don't get up there in front of the class, the class being the world, and mm-hmm. shit our pants again like uh, we did in 2016. But then and it I goes back it to being project. challenged again, you know, and we learn and we develop and we grow, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you're right. This November is it's going to be Yeah, we're already making history as we're speaking, but at the same time, there's going to be even more history 
in the future, you know. Um, I mean, thank so you take, guys so much for the so takeaways. For, takeaways, yeah. I guess, just to to kind of conclude it. Go vote. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> go, yeah. vote. go vote. And and when you when you yeah, and when you ask your black friend, or if you don't ask and they tell you what their experience is, believe them. Yeah. Don't question them. Yeah. Don't question them. Don't try to justify what they're telling you by trying to explain a way that it might make more sense. Just say, "My God." Because and it's what not can about I do you. to make sure that it's not about you? Yeah, it's not God, about a, you. That's such a great way to put it because it it uh, it almost strikes the, a similar chord to the uh, Me Too slogan of "Believe Women." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. believe Black people when we tell you that something is happening. Don't excuse it away uh, in, in a similar way to how women for so long their their experiences were uh were swept under the rug or belittled or excused away as oh why were you in that why'd you put yourself in that situation or why were you dressed like the way that you were in the same way that black people are told with their encounters with police so why didn't you comply or if you had just done what they had said none of this would have happened and it puts the emphasis on the black person to need to change something about ourselves that we shouldn't have to actually be concerned with. Mm -hmm. It should be on the people who are in the position of power to come to terms and, and come to terms with the fact that the way that they wield it is for, for centuries now has caused a, divide between themselves and the people that they're supposed to be protecting and serving that I don't know how it ultimately will get solved and how it will ultimately get fixed. But I know that we can't keep doing the same things that we've been doing up until this point because before long it'll be fill in the blank on the next name that we're talking about rest in peace for. And it could be any one of us. And I don't want that. I'm tired of that. Yeah. And I think to even to add to that would be just, this is the time to not be silent. Don't, don't be afraid that you're going to offend somebody or whatever, protect. It's up to non African-Americans to stand up for when they see injustice as well we shouldn't it we shouldn't rely on you guys to fight only for yourselves like we need to fight for you guys too yeah, yeah. like, like, yeah. like Thomas said, we can't do this alone yeah no, we, yeah. we we've been we've been trying yeah christy do you have anything to add for takeaway oh, yeah. or, or chinway please yes Okay, sorry, I had to turn my video off because you know You're I got a video today. But um, yeah, takeaways definitely, definitely vote and don't just focus on the presidential election. As you have seen in the past couple of weeks, if you've been actually been paying attention, that mayors matter. Mm. Um, yes, you know people at the local and state level matter. Governors definitely matter. Um, so yeah, vote in every election. Um, also, yeah, what a lot of mimicking a lot of what people have said, listen, listen more than you speak, but when you have the chance to speak, speak loud. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So, don't um, question. yeah, I don't, I don't want private messages. I want you checking your friends 
in 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 those comments. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want performative gestures. I want permanent gestures. You know. Absolutely. So all of that. You know. Just yeah. We we need. Like I said, we need backup. And I I'm I'm for the first time I feel like we have that. But I want it to be past this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And not for let me, it repeat. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the takeaway is uh, aside from everything everyone said is. Um, real change can happen off- offline, and I don't want another incident, incident where something racist does happen, and then the first, your first immediate thing to do is to defend the person who oppresses or who spoke out, who spoke, uh, who spoke that word. Um, there has been a n- number of occasions where something didn't feel right, and I expressed it, and the, f- the first thing someone would say is, well, you don't think they mean it like that, do you? Um, so I think if the, the thing you can do for us or for marginalized individual is have an uncomfortable conversation, do not gaslight us, continue to, to continue to, uh, speak out, uh, on behalf, I mean, speak, advocate for us and, uh, just do more, do more than just lip service. Yeah. I love it. Thank love you guys it. so much. We've, We've gone two hours. <laughs> I, I've so, learned a lot. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, this is perfect. Thank you, thank you guys so much for doing yeah, no. this. Yeah. 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 I hope it was like helpful for you guys too to, to hear each other's perspectives. It was very helpful. Definitely. It was yeah. very helpful I, for I, me I, too. Thank you for this. So this is like the first time I actually spoke out loud. Because a lot of the things I've, I think the conversation I've been having is through like text message or through mm. emails. This is the first time I actually had to verbalize or hear more of like, hey, this is what's, how we're feeling. This is how, um, how we're dealing with it. So thank you. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we would love to have you guys come back too. Yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll let you know if you guys wanna. We want, we yeah. want guests coming, coming and going, yeah. you know, and uh, mm-hmm. we, we, can't, we can't hear just my voice and uh, Christine's, you know. You were very so. boring. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very boring. No. I'll be. Christy, I'll be there on Saturday in Shreveport. Okay, I will see you there. Yeah, so keep right. on fighting. And Thank you. Uh, you guys are heard, we listen. Vote. And hope everybody yeah. listen and everybody vote. That's how you can change yes. things. Vote, make this a long-term change. Make it long-term, remember most of the places that, uh, most of those swing areas that Donald Trump won, he won by such a small margin that if the people who should have voted voted, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in this space so your vote really does matter because if you vote for neither it's going to go to the opposing so yeah that's that's just how it works yeah 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 Yeah. but thank you guys thank you thank you guys all right love so we're gonna yeah Uh, thank you guys again that has been get realism's podcast uh yeah and i i guess that's a wrap you guys that's a that's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> in, in films, we say that's a wrap. Yeah, that is a wrap. Yes. Thanks, right, everybody. All righty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Check on your black people. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, guys, so much. Bye, bye, Chinway, bye, Christy. That was yeah, no, amazing. That was uh, that was wonderful. That was that was probably the most uh, that was like everything that I've wanted and some, you know, yeah. um, that show. Those guys are great. 
Patrick Chinweb, uh, Christy, Tommy, everyone. I mean, yeah. you no, know, it was it was just cool because it fantastic. was it was a plethora of different perspectives. You know? Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess I guess our time is up, Christine, and we're going to stop the live stream here. Uh, Alrighty. So you guys, ladies and gentlemen, Get Realisms podcast, GetRealisms.com, Christine Chen uh, on Facebook, Moth to Flame Films, YouTube.com slash Moth to Flame Films. Mm-hmm. Um, get, and Adam. And, and Adam. Uh, Adam Chase or Adam the Chase on my social medias. And um, yeah, guys, thank you for hanging out. Thank you for chilling. Uh, bye-bye. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. 2 p.m. every Friday. Okay. All right. That was, that was the uh, live podcast. That was, that was great. Christine, was I'm cool. so glad you were able to, yeah, to get those. That was on. amazing. That, I just thought that, like, it.